podcast brought to you by Melee Stats. I am Gimme.Wheat. I'm going to be your host today. I'm a top 100 organizer, I uh, tournament seater, and just a huge fan of Melee. And if you, you know, the, the people who are watching this on Twitch or watching the video on YouTube will recognize that today's episode already is kind of a little different than what we normally do. Uh, you know, with me today is not Edwin Budding. It's not Ambi Sinister. It's just one other person. You know, Melee Stats, uh, we have been so grateful to all the people who have been able to be guests on the show and just help us throughout our entire times in Melee. And I think uh, it's really important to us to hear from them and just hear their stories. So what I'm going to do today with today's episode and uh, something that Melee Stats might be doing with Waiting for Game in the future, uh, we're going to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who in some way or another, really mean a lot to us. Uh, <laughs> and for this, I couldn't choose anyone but Tafakins, CLG's own Tafo. What is up, Tafo? How have you been? Uh, could be better. Uh, I didn't get Bud Light Ace this week, so it's nice. Uh, but yeah, good to be on. Uh, uh, I had a little bit of an awe moment when you guys uh, talked about me uh, meaning you know, a lot to you guys, so glad to just be on the show with you guys and just chat. Yeah, no, I, I mean, this is basically coming up to be like a sort of a meme that I, I mean, I hope it doesn't come off like that. Uh, but I do. I just been so lucky in terms of who we've been able to get on here because so many people have been so instrumental in getting me into the scene. But like I said, I, you know, if I had to pick one person who was probably most important for me to really dig deep into the scene, I mean, I got to say, Tafo, that's probably you. Oh, wow. I actually didn't know that. And I'm glad um, because I think, uh, you know, I started doing content. I realized I couldn't do it, you know, forever. And I yeah. thought like, hey, like, hopefully, you know, this inspires other people to do things because I think, you know, the more people that are involved in this stuff, the better. So I'm really happy that there is like another generation of people that are really, you know, carrying the torch. The Tafo Tots. <clears throat> the Tafo Tots. Yeah, uh, I mean... You kind of hit on all of that. I think that I'm not gonna. I don't. I think it's a it's a large uh, role to take. I'm not sure if I'm going to let you say that we're carrying the torch on, but as best as we can. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I want to get into all this today. I think you as a as a person, you as a figure in melee, has been so important, uh, and I, I just want to get into this. So I guess the first thing is, you know, you talked about how like what you've done for the scene. Um, how how did you get into the scene is probably the the best first question for this yeah i mean i think uh, it was classic story of uh, my friends and i were you know playing a lot of 64 in melee and when um just again edge i was like okay like what are like other people doing online and this is before the youtube era Damn. and eventually my search went to smashboards and um i both discovered two things i discovered isaiah in both 64 and melee uh, and then also uh, the san jose state bi-weekly tournaments that sheridan used to run back in 04 kind of crazy that he's been doing this for 17 years and so yeah those were my two gateways into competitive smash wow that uh that's crazy i mean so I think it's amazing to hear everyone's like first entrance into Smash, and I think it's really funny because a lot of it is kind of based upon just wanting to to beat whoever friend you're playing, like whichever whichever friends kind of uh, has the edge on you. Um, and I guess like you know you as a player, um, uh, we talked about this with homemade waffles last week. Uh, like you would be perfect as this uh, person who's kind of underrated as a player, and I think most people know you as a 
someone who's like a, a figure in the scene. So what was the, like, how did that happen? How did you turn from someone who obviously played the game really well, but someone who's also able to bring something larger to the scene? Yeah, I mean, I think um, as you get more involved, I think you get more attached to the community. And then as you get more attached, you want to help it the best you can. And so, like, I helped ran tournaments in NorCal when that what, there weren't really good venues. So I think a large part is, like, being able to identify, like, what the community needs, the people you go play with, the people you go to Denny's after a tournament with, the people you yeah. chat with on, like, Discord, Facebook Messenger, whatever avenue, AIM back in the day. And so, yeah, I mean, I always had a heart for like seeing like how can we create a, like a better fun experience for everybody. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, when I look back at those types of that era, uh, obviously something that I, w I was not there for this, this early era. Uh, it's so cool seeing all the old stuff, all the old footage of like a Genesis or even something smaller, because in terms of numbers, obviously whatever we're doing right now dwarfs it completely. But you look at that and it felt like everyone kind of had a role in the scene. Uh, you know, in a tournament of like 200 people, it feels like a hundred of them have like some larger impact in the scene. And I, I think it's crazy to, to look back at those old tournaments and feel that energy. Yeah. I mean, I think a large part was that was like super helpful, right? It was like when I first went to my first tournament, um, you know, I'm just a scrub. I mean, I think it was a lot easier to like win tournament sets back then. So I didn't go 0 and 2 right away. Like, I think I went like 1 and 2 or 2 and 2. Like, not everyone was like, you know, super good. And I remember going to Jack in the Box, which was near the tournament. And um, Maiko, Silent Spectre, Vanessa, and Lunin just said, like, hey, do you want to like sit at our table? And, you know, if those like kind of micro interactions didn't happen, I probably would have had a second opinion because I've been involved in Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh! and a bunch of other communities where you're kind of just left fending for yourself for a while. And just to see people like invested you know it's like hey do you want to go grab a bite to eat do you want to come with us it i think really opened the door for me and i definitely felt like really welcomed and, and it helped me like stick around right from the get-go yeah i mean I, I think for me like i don't think that there's a way where i would still be involved in melee without the community i mean as the we, we go through the ups and downs um you will you will probably know that more than almost anyone yeah. Uh, but like, if I have to look at the, what, you know, the memories I have from this, there's a lot of great times of just like watching intense sets or something like that. But I mean, uh, more stuff of just, yeah, like hanging out afterwards or, uh, like a major hotel room or something like that. Just like shoving eight people in. Like, I think the experiences, uh, outside of the game are, are so important. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think like I would probably say that you know if we were to just keep it to to what you've done for the scene you know we talked about you as a player we talked about you talked about yourself as an organizer uh i would say top 100 is probably one of the lasting things that you have put into the scene at, that has really shown dividends what was the impetus for this like where why did you start this um yeah i mean i think so what was it i think the first year i did that was like 2013 and i think that's when I realized Smash wasn't really as insular, like in terms of there was a lot of outside interests. Like we got into Evo that year. 
um we reached news like we had the spirit bomb and so i realized like that year in particular that there were a lot of people that were watching I, uh, evo 2013 that year i think hit 70k viewers and like i just never imagined that was that would ever happen and i kind of thought to myself um, i've talked to my friends who weren't involved in smash and they're like they didn't know anything about the game. They didn't know anything about the players. And, you know, you and I, we can go around and identify who are the good players, the sleeper hits. Um, and people knew, like, Mango, Armada, Hbox, or, in, like, PP, or, like, the Five Gods, right? And mm-hmm. beyond that, no one knew anything about anyone. And I'm thinking, like, what do, what do like, traditional sports do? And I, I know people meme, like, it's, like, traditional sports and esports aren't the same thing. But on ESPN, they had the top 100 or NBA rank. And that gives a larger context to players that aren't, like, LeBron James or Steph Curry, right? Like, you get to see a reasonable order of players. To find out where the Gary Paytons of the world fall in, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, like, the Sloxes and the people who are from, like, New England, Tri-State, all these regions that aren't getting recognized and like melee is just more than the five gods and i thought that having a list and i knew from the get-go it wasn't going to be perfect there was going to be controversy a guy that's ranked 90th could probably be 50th a guy that's 50th might be 70th but at the very least it gives two things like a like top 100 back then wasn't as difficult there wasn't as many people if you play for like a couple years you'd probably get on um it created a a goal post beyond the local scene where like a local scene could have like a top 10 right and then what do you do after that it's like you want to get on to the national scene so i thought that was a good segue and a good challenge and also created just a good talking point for people to have a frame of reference and i think everybody uses a top 100 as like a frame of reference for better or worse and i wanted it to be a storyboard launcher into other things right so if people you know write about smash and not super familiar with the scene they can look at that as like a narrative builder oh this guy first hit top 100 in 2013 rose up the ranks and it creates a good story builder it's like a great default sauce to like a meal (laughs) yeah i mean i I really cannot imagine doing this in 2013. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I introduced myself as a top 100 organizer. That that was a role that you kind of uh, onboarded me on, you know, too. I, I was very lucky to be able to work with you on it for a little bit and then obviously uh, continuing to do it with practical tasks. So I kind of like feel like I get a little bit of the ins and outs of it, but I cannot imagine doing it in 2013 and saying, let's do a top 100 but what happened from it, you know, what that top 100 brought, you're so right. Like, the the scene has benefited so much from that in a way that I think, you know, it's, like, ingrained. The top 100 is so ingrained in people that we, this is the first, you know, 2020 was the first year without one for obvious reasons. And yeah. people <laughs> people weren't having it, uh, trying to make their own netplay rankings and stuff like that. So I, I think, like, it's so important to the scene in so many ways. And what we've seen from, like just the history um you know you can see a zane who's obviously a, a top five player you know I, I mean top one maybe uh but you can look at his career obviously starting as like 66th and then working his way up to 22nd or whatever um and i i think that what you were able to do for this and the lasting impact of it is huge on the history of the game yeah and i think the other part um you know, if you look at the history of Melee, like even if you look at the early days of like Matt Deasy and all of them, they and um, Alpha Zilla, like they use Smash. I mean, like Melee is like a hobby, both like for a lot of people, both on the player end and like on the like the behind the scenes end. And I think what I also wanted to do with SSBM Rank is give a lot of people an opportunity, like because I think we had a lot of really young writers, editors, 
and people that contributed and now they could say like oh like this went up on um red bull and like um, mm-hmm. i think a lot of people were able to get their first jobs because of this experience where like i wrote them a letter of recommendation said like this person did really great work on this you could see it on the red bull site and so being able to like actually provide jobs and funding to people and just experience um i did pay some people it wasn't fully for exposure um I think that that's like really awesome, right? Like if you're 17 to 20 and like you've never gotten paid doing esports or you don't have any work history, like where do you begin? And I thought that was also very important for me um, in doing this as well. Would you say is the top 100 the thing that you in, in Smash that you hold as like most important that you've done, or how do you view your accomplishments? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, as a player, like I've hit top 32 in majors, like I hit 17th at shine. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people don't recognize that about me. Like in like I beat Ralph, who was top 100 at my last tournament, despite not playing the game for like a year. <laughs> um, lost to Moki and Mewtwo King and Genesis. So I think as a player, like, I, I did accomplish a lot. Like, I, I mean, as a meme, I'm 1-0 against IBDW. I'm 1-0 against none. Um, Rishi, aren't you up, uh, up on Rishi too? Yeah, I'm one and zero on Rishi, one and zero on Crush. <laughs> like, um, and of course, you know they would easily beat me today. Like, I've done a lot as a player, but you know, um, I think over the years, like there was this drive to be like, oh, like I want to get ranked in NorCal, SoCal, which was really hard at the time. Definitely, you know, a stepping stone that was really hard to do given how stacked those regions were and i eventually did it but i think over time and i think this is an earlier question you brought up is like how did i transition so like i want to be okay right like at the very least like i want to go to tournament and beat crimson blur and (laughs) other people and be like don't we all um but i felt the competitive drive to be the best wasn't really quite there for me because i knew that like you know i think that summer of 2016, I'd probably put myself in the top 50 just with my performances. But to get to top 20, to get to top 10, um, that means my nights um, would have to go to Smash Fest. I'd have to study. I'd have to grind. And the, the amount of time you the amount of time you need to just keep jumping levels is like exponential. And I just didn't really feel like my drive matched that level of play. So yeah, I don't really have much pride in my competitive aspirations. Although like it's like a footnote. Um, I think the biggest thing for me uh, in Smash is like it probably be the top 100 in terms of the reach, uh, but just making sure that I think more than that, like I showed that narrative writing and content building and story writing for these players and the stakes of events. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing for me. Um, and when I wrote on and all those articles on Melee and on me, especially when I covered the MLG series, like I always said, like, what's at stake here, right? Like, what is the story to tell here? And I think I nailed it pretty well because I'm pretty connected with the players. So I got to talk to them. So it's like cheating. But I think I really created, opened the door to like that market of writing where people are interested in that stuff. And I built the proof of concept to say like, yo, like you can write about this stuff. Like there are a ton of people that really want to know this stuff and will watch content on it. So you guys turned down for Walt, like all you guys and like, I feel like are like partially influenced by me. Like not, I'm not going to take full credit. And that's the biggest joy I have, right? Is that people are writing about the deep stuff of Melee. Yeah, I mean... I, I think you uh, you really nailed it with that one because the way that I viewed all that type of stuff when I first got into the scene was so instrumental to me to me understanding the scene and, and to me like really be able to, to dig into it. 
the lore, uh, I guess, was, uh, if you want to put it that way, or just the depth that the scene had, um, just seemed something that was like perfect for me to really, you know, dig myself into. Um, and I think that you are known so much as the stat person, but beyond that, you are able to give context for all that in, in a way that I think might get misunderstood on a larger level, right? I, I'm not sure if everyone would jump to give you the credit for like creating narratives or, or um, highlighting narratives. Yeah. But uh, but I yeah, I mean, I, I think you're definitely right. That that comes like part and parcel with the stats that you're able to put out. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was pretty amazing. What about uh, what about Tafo stats? You know, we, we talk about your what you brought to the scene. Um, we're not, obviously without even yeah. touching on melee it on me, but Tafo stats is something that is has a lasting impact. Uh, and we see PG stats. We we have SmashData.gg. I don't know if you know about that. And we just got all these things that are kind of on the basis of wanting to know like how much exactly how many times Kobol wrecked Gatsu. Like something that yeah. is like the the minutia that for some reason the melee scene like cannot stop hounding over. Yeah, I mean, I think I totally forgot that I did that. Like, I, I actually like totally forgot. I you know created stats. Like, it's kind of crazy. Um, that actually created came out of anger for me, uh, strangely enough. Because um, no offense to like my boys Tof and Scar, I love them, but like when Tofu and Scar would reference something in 2014, like it was always wrong, and I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't also pinpoint what the right answer was in terms of set counts, and so. I thought to myself, like, I was mad initially, and then I was a little bit more empathetic because I'm like, there's no way that they would be able to know this on their own. There's a lot of stuff you need to know. and But I was like, huh, like, I wonder if I can do something with it. And I think for me, like, I think largely the themes I'm seeing as we're, like, talking about this is, like, I like to start stuff as a proof of concept. I'll put in a lot of work to see, like, and build interest. And then at the end of the day, I hope that somebody takes over that, like, is going to scale it more than me so happy that there's stats i'm happy that on pg stats i can look up stuff on liquipedia um because i think there's a time people that like to look in the history and i think the beauty of our game melee it's patchless and so much of all the tennis analogies that you have of what's this guy's record over time like we have the luxury at looking at the progression not only in the ranking standpoint but in the head-to-head -head trajectory of these players um, and I, I still think there's a lot to uncover and all that. And I think that's part of the reason why I want to do the stats is to uncover a deeper history of the progression of players, um, the head to heads, especially with like the five gods when they played against each other, one player might have a really big jump over another player and then it reverses at some period of time and being able to pinpoint that on the tip of your fingers is really nice. So that was like the inspiration behind Tafo stats when I was running it. Yeah, I think it's huge. And I think, you know, we mentioned um, how the top 100 gives you the ability to see the growth of all these players. And I think the same thing with Tafo stats. I think the, um, the ability to look at someone's records and just see how over time, maybe it goes from like 0 and 4 to 1 and 3, and then suddenly, you know, jumps and scales. Uh, I, I think like it really tells a story in a way, even if you just look at, individual set counts versus one person and and what you're able to bring to the scene with that is is very admirable um obviously yeah. you know tafo stats uh you have i, I don't want to say you've uh taken time off from melee because obviously you're still um 
your role in melee has obviously not been as large uh, due to other you know amazing things that you've been doing. What do you think about the role of stats that they play today? It is what what can be uh, what can be done better. What do you think is done well right now? Like I I want to hear your opinions on this, considering it's been a few years since you were really doing heavy stats for the scene. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know one of the biggest things, and I think. Um, when I was coaching Mango, like just me having access to my own database and running my own search queries, like, I mean, that's how I was able to quickly get to the conclusion that like, if Mango loses FD in a certain way, like he's going to tilt the next two games. And it was not only like very easily observable, like when somebody watches that, they're not going to be able to pick up on that pattern right away. And so I was like, huh, like, let me look at the data sets. And it was a great conf- big confirmation. So like, that's why you saw like the the Mario counterpick on Yoshi on, um, the, FD. on FD because I know that also from observing Axe that if he gets chain grabbing tilts Axe and it gets him really scared so playing a character that fundamentally can chain grab his character I knew was going to do something to his mindset and like it was like I just looked at the data set of him against like ice climbers like what caused him to tilt and do a lot of investigation um, I got Mingo to stop picking Stadium in certain matchups against like Martha as his first counter pick. I got him to stop picking Yoshi's against Armada. So there's a lot of like things with the data that you can play around with that if you investigate further, like there's still I, mean, I can't really reveal strategies, but like there's a lot of strange counter picks that still happen where like I think they're picking based on the character matchup more than the player tendencies that I think can be explored. Slippy stats is also amazing, uh, or like what if what Slippy's done? Um, I think. For me, like I played a little bit of Slippy. My like kills per my number of punishes that lead into or openings that lead into kills is really bad, which shows that my punish game is really lacking. I think it's like six or seven on average. So that tells me that I need to work on my punish game. And so I think there's a lot of things you can do to maybe it doesn't confirm or definitively tell you weaknesses or strengths about your games, but it is like a almost like a smoking gun to like if you want to improve in the game, like having that just bare bones right in front of you is like super helpful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you so you mentioned coaching Mango, and just as a just as a brief aside, we talk about what you have considered your biggest accomplishment in the scene, or something that you've been maybe most proud of, maybe most impactful might be the right word. Uh, yep. You've done so much that I, I think it's really hard to to like just uh, at one go say everything you've done for the scene. <laughs> what do you th- like? What do you think has been underappreciated? Um, I mean, maybe it is the stats. Like, yeah, what? I mean, I think the, the like I think the most like frustrating narrative, and this has kind of come up recently on like the Reddit sphere, is like I made Mango. Um, and I think like if I were to like defend or redeem myself like there are a lot of things I um, focus on as like a KPI like or like this is what I would consider a successful year so I think the first two to three tournaments after Genesis like that year like I had to go to weddings so like the February tournaments like I was effectively not coaching him but the goals I had was like I didn't want him to lose to anyone worse the top 10 and the year before that and the year after I stopped coaching him he was losing to a lot of like top 15 top 20 top 50 players and so like I was trying to make him as consistent as possible and I think despite the fact that he didn't perform as well like I think I did that um his worst losses for a while were chewed at plopping X and they're all top 10 players and so when people say like he's lost a lot like I think people forget that he used to get upset a lot by like random players and I absolutely made sure that didn't happen made sure that his routines were good that he, I made him play Falco because like because I knew that a six out of ten mango Falco would win 
but I knew if he played a six out of 10 Fox that he was going to lose to like barely beat Wizzy, barely beat Lucky, um, and barely beat a lot of these players. So I felt like I did a lot for him. And funny enough, uh, there's a funny story about uh, the most recent summit where Benis, you know, Benis W, who's a Mango Super yeah, yeah. fan. I told Benis W my routine with Red Bull and, um, and shots. And the vodka. Um, guys, yeah, for people who are watching this, the TLDR is at the beginning of my coaching tenure, Mango wants to stop drinking. And so we're like, we experimented a lot with routines, like when he would eat, what type of snacks he would eat during the day, water, bathroom breaks, gum. Like there's a lot of things that Mango has in his routine that's kind of ritualistic. Like for whatever reason, he always has to go to the bathroom before a set. So if you're a tournament organizer, most frustrating thing, because like you have him there and he's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. But it's part of his routine. He'll listen to music, go to the bathroom. Um, but we try to get rid of the alcohol and he got really anxious and he lost the tournament because he overthought. So I was like, oh, fuck. Like, um, sorry for swearing. I was like, okay, like, Fuck it, it's gonna it. it's gonna take a lot of work to make to make not drinking work um so i was like thinking okay like knowing that he's gonna need alcohol we experimented with like okay let's give you some alcohol right um i think it was smash and splash a tournament that ended really late and alcohol slows you down and he just had no energy so i was just like ugh, like okay like if i don't give him alcohol he's gonna overthink <laughs> but if i give it to him too and the tournament starts too late then he's just not gonna have energy so i had to do this routine where it's like red bull one hour and then or it's like two shots initially to get that buzz for him and it'll fade off by the time he plays the sets and then an hour later i'll give him red bull and if the tournament's running late then i'll give him another beer and then if the tournament's still running late there's a there's a red bull like in there so it's like a little routine just to match his energy level it's like a balmer's curve but bennis w actually had beer and red bull and he had the, the the sauce and actually did that for him at the tournament. I'm not sure if it <laughs> kept him focused, but it's a routine that he still holds to this day. And uh, obviously, you know, we saw the results of Summit 11. Yeah. And they they kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, th I think anyone who is willing to, to throw stones at you and say anything about why you're the reason why Mango wasn't doing particularly well oh yeah that that always grinded my gears um yeah <laughs> can't say other, the yeah go on it was the darn swedish people the other big part of that year <laughs> if i remember correctly where um i think that was like the first year um where you notice at the top that the punish game was getting noticeably better like Leffen and armada's punish games were just getting absolutely better and this would be knew, like 2017 right it was 2016. like 16 it was like I forget what year. it was like 2016 2017 yeah like you were seeing like you're seeing like left and land like 70 damage off of just one thing and the one thing that was different from him and like lucky before that was like his damage was consistent and i knew that mango needs to streamline a lot and i think a lot of people said like he's playing conservative like he's playing slower and it was a deliberate decision because he was kind of just winging a lot of situations where if you look at his falco now like he knows exactly what he needs to do. There's not, there's a little bit of improving and like creative mix-ups, but he needs to, he needed to be in a place where he understands like exactly what he can and can't do. And if you watch that era of videos, like especially early on, he was getting shine out of shielded because the shield pressure wasn't safe. His punish game wasn't consistent because people were DIing a certain way, right? And one of the big points I want to emphasize for him is that his punish game needs to be cons more consistent and the way he goes about flow charting his game needs to be a lot more consistent. And then once that, stabilizes itself then he can add the creative elements back in and that was like 
really important for me to establish for him when I was co his coach. Um, because if the fundamentals aren't there and like the left in, left in hungry box and armada continue to keep developing that, then he's going to fall behind and those creative options are just not going to work anymore. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's so enlightening to have you talk about this because without you as his coach, um, I, I do think we lose out on a lot of these moments of clarity to kind of understand what's going on deeper. And I think that that's, yeah, obviously this is something that still happens like, uh, yeah. any top level play, that's this is still going on but uh yeah i mean i didn't realize it until now that having you as the the very vocal coach i think was really helpful for a lot of people to understand what was going on even if you know the idea of of like giving him vodka and red bull might have seemed like <laughs> i i don't think you know reddit was too kind about that all the time but i i think like yeah this is a it's it was a really illuminating thing to have you be able to speak to about that all the time um obviously like that's continuing at the top level or uh, in some you know maybe not specific routines but like uh I, like what do you have to say about what is happening right now in 2021 melee like if you were still as active in smash if you had the you know the stats or whatever uh like how do you think you would vocalize about what's happening in 2021 like among just the general kind of player base that goes to tournaments or like at the very top. I can give uh, you both. Um, both would be fine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for context, I think I'm a pretty, I have that pretty good like time travel experience because I haven't really touched melee in the past like three years. Mm -hmm. And so going from 2018 melee, you know, playing a Genesis getting like, what was it? 97th. Um, and then going to play now, like I would say overall, the game has gone a lot faster and, I think in 2018, um, there are a few things, and I thought about making a video. Everyone crotch cancels, and everyone's just like really good at picking a pin, like a really precise like out of shield option. So if I hit a fox a certain way, they're always going to crotch cancel, or they're going to shine out shield, right? And they're going to punish me. Um, so there's a lot less freebies that you can get away with now in 2021, even with just like a common net player. Um, the other part that has come up with the better players is. I think uh, you know you'd kind of break people into defensive foxes and aggressive foxes. The foxes are in your face, and the foxes that shoot lasers, right? But I feel like everybody kind of plays at this zone, and I think the Mango versus Zane set highlights this a lot. Where every time Mango got Zane in a corner, he didn't run away and shoot lasers. Mm -hmm. He dash dance and played at such a pressure aggressive level, where like he's trying to force something out of Zane. Um, old school melee would be like, I'm going to walk away half a screen away or like three quarters of screen away. And I know approaching is hard and I know that you're not good at it. And I'm going to rely on the law of averages, averages to say that you're going to mess up your approach at me and then I'm going to punish you. Um, that's the Armada style. That's the Leffen style to a loose extent, Mewtwo King and Hungrybox. But you can't play melee that way anymore at the top. You have to play aggressive. You have to force mistakes through pressure. And that's like the biggest difference I see in neutral is that people are playing up close and they're reacting to options and then punishing you for it. Whereas I thought back then in the old days, like people would play mid distance and rely on people overextending and then punishing. So um, that's probably the biggest difference I see. Defensive options are great. People are sliding off if they can. Um, if there's an option that exists that can get them out of combo, they'll do it. And granted the offensive player or the person continuing the combo could recognize and react to it. But like, if you're not in tune with what options are available for the defensive player, like your combos are just getting cut shorter 
and uh, you have to cover a lot more to get a lot more out of your combos. So those are like the biggest things I see. So, you know, you had a... Uh, I, were they called Tafo Facts? Was that what it was? Or is it still just Tafo Stats? You know, you would have something that would run across the bottom of like an Apex 2015 yeah, or something. Yeah, I, I don't remember. It was like Gimmer wrote it. It might have been Tafo Facts at the time that he wrote it. It was whatever Gimmer wrote. <laughs> whatever it was, I, I think that that idea is something that, that was kind of in a lot of Smashers' heads. Uh, and being able to see that was super cool. If that was happening right now, you know, with the what we're able to currently see, you know, we have this kind of uh, interesting situation because we have so much information through Slippy, like you mentioned, uh, and so many other websites that are able to gather like set data, like broad set data. Um, like how would you visualize what's going on currently through data? Yeah. I mean, I think there's interesting because like, I think there's a magical sauce to like what makes the top players what they are, as opposed to like the average top 50 player, right? Like, when you describe Mango's Falco versus like Mango's like I don't know like Ginger's Falco, Ginger's good, right? Or like Magi, right? Like, um, like Zane on FD, right? That's a classic one. What I would do is like I would highlight his um, openings per kill on that stage versus other stages, right? It's probably gonna be substantially lower, and that segues into like a nice talking point for the commentators, right? For like if you're on a summit screen stream where a lot of people aren't familiar with melee, right? They say, oh wow, like. Zane on average gets a kill on like 1.8 openings, right? Like that's a really interesting talking point. And like that broadly goes into like what makes Mart so good at FD. With Mango, right? Like if you can aggregate, like how does he get his openings, right? And he has like nine different types. And like we were able to stat this and say like, oh, Ginger gets like three and a half, has three ways he gets openings, right? And we see Mango have nine, right? Like then you can talk about Mango's mix-ups, right? And... I think the commentators, for what it's worth, like I, I really liked Logan or LSD, like mm. talking about player pattern and tendencies. But I think if they're able to use stats not to like create a random narrative, but to enhance the narratives that I think we all have in the back of our minds of like what makes this player special or what makes this player top five, um, then I think that really enhances things. Like another example I would give for SFAT is like his win loss record against people lower than him and his win loss record against people above him, right? He probably has one of the most polarizing stats for that particular stat, which tells me that he is a very consistent player, has a really distinct game plan, but because it's so regimented, his execution probably isn't going to be able to let him beat players that are better than him because his game plan isn't as good. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing with that is that there are a lot of people out there who the larger melee scene will probably be able to figure out the general narrative about uh, the player through just watching their play. But then you have SFAT, like the perfect example of someone who I think that maybe just by watching the play or just by, you know, looking at the, you know, general tournament history, I don't think SFAT would be able to be really easy to tell apart from a you know group of other foxes or people in his level and i think that like the idea of picking specific stats to show like what is unique about these players is uh yeah i mean that that's like an amazing idea and you have these players who might kind of struggle to break apart from the pack in terms of their individuality and like focusing on what makes them special what makes their game different through those stats i think that would be amazing Yep. I think this is like funny because I know um, 
I think the funny part about all this is, um, I think in like business world, like you have the engine, like it's like, I would like, I mean, I think this is like kind of a character, but like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, you had the salesperson versus like the engineer, right? And I know that there's like some kind of like things with Drug Fox that kind of come up where he would be like the engineer, right? And I think if you marry the high level players that like are going to be very nitpicky about certain things, like the engineers, and you were able to marry them with like the more salespeople, the people who want to create content and the narratives, mm -hmm. you can get something really good out of that if there's a little bit more collaboration and a lot more adversaries so i think that's like one of the things i like really wish for because like yeah i'm a, i was a top 100 player but my level of insight um i'm using my like intuition to kind of create the narrative and i think that's the one unique skill like carry in the space is like i kind of have the both worlds it's like where i know how to like make a story and i also was once a top player but my skill set as a top player is like deteriorating by the year. And I think what I wish down the road is like there's like a willingness of more top players um, kind of branching into that storytelling space other than just like kind of talking on stream about certain things. Would this be like specifically commentary or just general like YouTube or you know, what, what would you be thinking for this? I mean, I just think that with like YouTube long form content or even the stories that like you guys do as mainly stats, like just having people who aren't going to nitpick for the sake of nitpicking and creating like kind of controversy on Twitter, like I think the insight that they carry also kind of can illuminate narratives that like I'm not going to be able to see, right? Um, that you guys aren't able to see, right? Because we don't really have the eye for it. And so, like, I think there's even more interesting stories out there that, like, only a very select few people in the pop melee population can see. And I think if those were, I don't know what they are, um, <laughs> but, um, but seeing that illuminated, we're like, I don't know, they're like messaging you, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, I, I'm just seeing this, like, these like six adaptations. This is so like insane, right? Like, it's kind of like I feel like I'm like Krillin, like watching the Saiyans fight. And like I don't even know what's going on, but like Vegeta is like really mesmerized by something. Like I feel like there's something there that isn't being told because like I don't understand like what's going on. <laughs> Not often you hear people willingly say that they are the Krillins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the other this is okay. Okay, I remember why this is a conversation point for me because uh, Mango and I we go uh, even during the pandemic uh, we we go out to eat more or less once once a month. And um, usually in that conversation, I go like, what do you think about Melee now? And I'll eventually kind of tell you guys in our Discord, like what like Melee Mango thinks about different things, different characters, but the ideas he's like telling me, like I'm always leaving the conversation with my mind blown by like 10 different things. He's like telling me about the progression of Melee, how he thinks about certain players, what has this player style evolved into, how like Cody's evolved and like where Cody like falls short, like, um things that like no one else can really see and or he tells me like how he feels about mix-ups right like how he's able to like call out a f no other falco can forward smash the way he does and like get away like forward smash a dash backing zane or a dash backing hungry box and getting away with it like where he's in front of another person holding shield and for whatever reason he forward smashes a shielding opponent and somehow at the exact moment zane is dashing backwards and just dies at 70 right like and then when i hear his explanation for it and like the the insight to the mix-up on why he chooses his options i'm just like 
my mind is so blown away like by like <laughs> yeah. how many little things he notices that I just don't see. I heard he was uh I mean I think that just might be what he does to everyone. He might just naturally do that. I, I remember Logan talking about it on commentary. It's just like I forget what exactly it was. It was something about like reading an opponent's drift when they're in the uh magnifying glass at the top. Or you know, when they're they're when they're coming down. Uh and oh, Logan that's was in, right? Uh sure, it was one Marth, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the Marths are saying. But what whoever it was, you know, said that it blew their mind. And that's probably the effect that Mango has on a lot of people. You know, the way that he sees the game, I, you know, I'm not sure if I would have said that he was able to have this longevity, you know, when I got into the scene, if it kind of felt like a, uh, kind of a player who was playing his own game. And, and I think that a lot of times people were unsure of how long that was going to last. And it's pretty obvious that like, well, it, who knows what the future might hold, but it's at least staying true right now. Um, so I, I guess like the next question I have for you is someone who you know, you've been through the mango coaching, you're very close to him as a player for both mango and the scene at large. Like what does the future of melee hold? I mean, Big I question. Think, sorry. Like, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think like, you know, so I experienced multiple errors where like, you know, there was a mass exodus, right? Like Oh seven. And when, most of that top eight from MLG Las Vegas disappeared, right? We're like, okay, like who's going to come and replace these players? And I think we had that with the gods, right? Like Armada doesn't play anymore. Muti King doesn't play anymore. PP doesn't really, they don't, they're not really known for playing. And I think everybody kind of felt like, well, like who's going to carry the torch? And you're just seeing a couple people rise up. And like, we're, we're in a melee world where three of our, five biggest guys like left and it's still holding strong. And I think that's just a really good sign that like, I mean, it's cliche, but like melee is like effectively timeless. Like, I don't know what stops the game and the community. Like, uh, I thought that would, that if all five gods left, like, oh, okay, that's kind of it. Like what mm -hmm. else do we talk about? But it's still carrying on. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the Smash Summit 11 podcast. Um, like, the idea of someone who only watches the big events, your Genesis, your big houses, your summits, uh, you know, watching Summit 11, probably haven't watched Melee since Summit 9. Maybe maybe caught some news here or there of, like, Zane's Roy or something like that. But, yeah, the idea of seeing the progression during the pandemic even when people could only play online and seeing that all yeah it's just like so clear to me it, it really reinforces this worldview that i've had about melee um which i think is kind of a perfect thing to bring up right here with you is that like the the people who are in this game um the roles will stay there but the people will always change and um like i think that one constant is that one spinning red and black disc uh, like everything else around, you know, you have been so instrumental to the scene in so many ways. And, and obviously I'm not going to say, I, I would never uh, try to, to say that melee stats is like taking the mantle, but I, I do think that in some part we try to emulate a portion of what you were able to get to the scene. Uh, and I think you're right. Like the, the top players, obviously no one can play the game forever, but we've been blessed to have so many, people who just still want to play this game even even if it's not against armada even if it's not against mutu king 
Yep. And I think that adds to the lore, right? It's um, nice to see like the what ifs, right? And you see that in sports across eras. I think fortunately for us, like, yeah, like my knees don't go bad and prevent me from playing when I hit like 30, right? And the careers of a lot of like basketball players or football players. Um, yeah, but I also think it's good. Like, I think everybody kind of the, like the people who've left their mark, um, they leave their mark and you kind of hope that people evolve on it. So like, yeah, like I would hope that people take my ideas, but like my ideas were good for 2014 and 2015 in terms of content. I would hope that people iterate and make my content better and continue to evolve. And you also see that with character development and play development, right? Like you take pieces from Ken, right? And you add it to your game. You add pieces from Yuta King and you evolve, right? And eventually you get Zane. So like, and even like, like the, you know, some of the other people that were really big positive net forces for the community like prog and scar right like they got rid of using the word you know rape right or using homophobic slurs back in they were one of the biggest advocates for that in a time and era where most gamers were just like well you guys are too pc like let me say whatever i want um i also help in the same vein of content and characters and you know toing that like there are also going to be people who hold the mantle for being I don't know, like a shining beacon for being good to other people. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think we've been so lucky over the years to have so many people who are able to. Well, I mean, I, I, if if I'm going to say what we're most lucky for, we're most lucky for people who have been able to devote so much time to the scene. Earlier in the episode, you might mention Doctor Z. Sheridan has been able to give so much to the scene for so many years, and I think that a lot of people who we've seen. Um, like really hold the community up have been able to do that for a long time. But that being said, we have people who, you know, uh, I mean, Aiden did just quit TOing. It seems, yeah. <laughs> uh, quit TOing for, for, you know, BTS. Uh, I, I don't think he has mentioned that it's not going to be a, you know, he's, he's not gonna, just going to quit TOing in general. Um, but, uh, like, I, I think someone like that who has been in the scene for just a small amount of time, comparatively, has been able to make his mark. And I, I think, you know, all the players that we mentioned, like they have, like we mentioned IBW, we mentioned Zane. These are, these are like uh, such important parts of, of the community in, in terms of top players. And where were they a few years ago, right? Like it's, uh, it's crazy to see the development that we've been able to see from the top players. And I guess the only thing I have to say about that um, or ask you about that, you know, are you keeping up with uh like the general uh, player movements the general field of play that we have right now obviously it's tough with the pandemic but have you have you kept abreast of all the information i mean like i think generally like, i have a decent sense of like the top 20 to 25 i think in terms of like the local weeklies um that's probably where i don't like i see like who gets like top four right and those are like common names like i see like suj yeti mexico like you know frequently turn up on the the tuesdays but if you're to ask me like who's getting ninth and who's getting 17th at those mm -hmm. tournaments and who's evolving like i don't have much insight into that so i think the equivalent of like who's like 50th and who's like 80th and who's like 130th like i don't really have much of a keen eye so like i want to pull the scars and if i go on commentary and like my co-commentators like oh my gosh this guy's like been really showing up and i'm like oh like who's this guy <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the fun right you, you need uh you need that energy uh i know i mean talking about people who have talking about aiden someone who kind of not left smash but but definitely scaled back on smash to, to deal with 
deal with Ludwig. Uh, Slime, I think, is in the same boat. Someone who who maybe not might not be uh, doing Smash as much as uh, he once was. But he was someone who was very good about understanding his role to a certain extent. Uh, he would always message me and, and like get the feel on who certain players were or, or you know something like that. So any information that he could take to the scene so he could tell people who Soonsei is, which seems increasingly necessary in this in this world where you know it might be a online thing or it might just be how melee is going currently but i feel like the level of play is is like so ready to be shaked up at any point by by any of these players yeah um, are there and any think... players in particular that you you would think like fill that role of someone who is like soon as i jump from 98th or whatever uh, and is obviously super good like Anyone else? You mentioned uh, Logan earlier. Like, who are the players that comes to mind? I mean, I think... <clears throat> I don't know if this is, like, me envious. Like, I've always been a player that wasn't really known for tech. Like, they don't shoot for tech. Like, or uh, Ledge Dash. Like, I'm, like, a really scrappy player. And, like, yeah, I think about the game. I think of game theory concepts a lot. But, like, what's hold me, held me back is my movement and my tech skill. And the one person like I kind of keep an eye on a lot because he plays my character is Ben. Um, he has the movement. His he's really fast and he's tech. Like I I think he's plup light um, in many regards. Just when I watch his movement, um, you know I think there's a few things that hold him back where like I'm trying to help him out here and there. Like I'll watch his sets and I'll go over with him from time to time when I have time. Like and. I think there's some like mentality issues of him being a new competitor that's not quite there um, in terms of mental fortitude over longer sets against better players and um, some of his uh, decision making um, in terms of, like a macro scale of, like stage control and like decision making is not quite there because I don't think he's really learned those like kind of evergreen um, game theory concepts that I'm trying to go over with him. Um, like you don't always have to throw the first move you don't always have to attack you can wait like these are kind of concepts that most melee players struggle with when they initially play because they want to move really fast but ben like i think if he can nail those things the things that he like needs to grow from becoming a top 25 to like a top six seven player like are straightforward and uh he's a player that i think w that if he kind of develops a slightly better mindset towards things like um, I think he'll get there. Um, I think he has a lot of potential, and I'm really excited to like watch him grow. And I, I feel like he's a player that I'm always gonna want to like see like succeed. Big Ben fans uh, over at the Melee Stats world. Um, yeah, that that's it's it, you know what what's really amazing is um, just how. Even though you said you're you being out of touch, you think means not being able to know the fiftieth best player from the eightieth best player. That's that's so funny because that's like such a a specific thing where it's like you you know how deep you've been by by you thinking that that means you're out of touch. Um, like how how often do you still keep up the melee scene? Because the fact that you are able to to mention these players who really only popped off in the past year year and a half, like Ben, like Logan. Um, shows that you you have some level of knowledge on all this yeah um so i think it's like these days it's really hard to like you know when i was really good about keeping up like i'd probably always have my like twitch running and watching whatever melee weekly or major um i i think i have less time for that so usually it's like top eights and um if if there's a really good set 
um, then I can watch a few of those from like top 32 and top 64. But other than that, it's like really hard. Um, I'll tune into like the melee stats public discord just to kind of get a vibe. And so if they like mention that there's a good set or a players trending, then I'll watch their videos and just see like, what are they doing? That's like good. Or like, what is, what are they doing that makes them like a top 25 player? I think it's uh really interesting to have that distance from the scene and yet still be able to look at what's happening. Um, you know, mentioned earlier how it's so crazy how like all that has shifted and all the top players, well, all the now top players who were, you know, just like the last time we had a top hundred might not have been represented at all. And I think it's really crazy how the scene has been moving so fast. How do you view this movement um, in the future? Is this something that you think is sustainable? Um, Sustainable in terms of just like, we have a lot of, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of top players who just like through sheer dedication have been able to turn themselves from not even top 100 to Ben level, you know, or Aklo, Logan, three great examples, like Pipsqueak, um, you know, what, if you want to consider that level top 20 or top 30 or whatever it is, um, you know, throw in people who are bottom end of that uh, top 100, like Sunsei or Kudorin. Like, I think we've seen a lot of players jump up. Do you think this is kind of normal or is this like a new trend in Melee? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's like kind of a new trend. Like if we were to go back to 2014, right? I grew up in SoCal, right? I can go play Johnny, Mango, Lucky. Um, I could go to Dunk's Place, play West Bowls. Like, like I had so much access, um, and just by playing them, like improvement came, became very easy. It was just me going. Like, I didn't have to grind anything. I didn't grind punish games, and maybe that's like that. Led, that's what led to my downfall. So I'll say this: <laughs> Let's say like my level of play is like a sixty-five, right? Like at my peak like by today's standards right i think just by slippy and all the tools that people have getting to a 65 is easy like getting to that relative skill level the hard part comes in the fact that so many people can be a 65 out of 100 or 70 out of 100 that the race to top 100 is going to be filled by a lot more people so i'd say to get to a certain skill threshold it's way easier now like you just you just have more tools and like people in the middle of nowhere have access to people now and they have Uncle Punch, and they have videos to watch, and you can get coaching from players for pretty cheap if it really boils down to that. But I do think that top fifty, top a hundred are going to be a grind by virtue that so many more people um, can get can access that space of mm-hmm. skill. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that kind of goes unsaid there is Slippy. Slippy is like. A huge boon for anyone who is looking to improve. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of people who are not in areas where you might be able to access a ton of top players. The ones we mentioned, um, Aklo, obviously New York, but never left New York to play Smash. Ben, super young player who was in uh, like Minnesota, Wisconsin uh, border, which might not have the strongest scene and, and same thing with uh logan logan also super young from south carolina you know slippy is the thing that kind of brings all these players together in a sense uh we i mean uh, it goes without saying that slippy is such an important thing for the community but i guess a, a question that you'd probably be uniquely uh apt in answering is like how good is slippy for the survivability of the game at the current level um, I think it's very important. Um, I mean, like, I mean, the 
the elephant in the room is the Delta variant of COVID, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm seeing things shut down. Um, and again, like it's, if I were to give it an, like kind of a light apples to orange analogy, like I look at how, when I look at Melee, yeah, some experiences with going to a major don't translate, right? And the pressures of playing on stage are slightly different, but I would say the overall experience you get in Melee is like going to be pretty similar, right? Like in terms of like the gameplay, right? My wife works in education and the last year or two um, through the pandemic, like we have a global loss in the education and growth of people that go to school, right? Because the experience is just not the same, right? So like people who are seven or eight years old, who are 10, right? They're going to be developmentally very behind socially, academically. Um, they're going to have a lot of unique issues. And like a lot of the growth of Melee players collectively, like people are playing even more Melee. Um, so I think it just collectively grows the scene and in both the overall skill level of the game and also the number of players that are playing. I think one of the cool things that we've seen throughout Slippy has been these, um, I don't want to call it a renaissance. Uh, I, I don't think it was, a, it hit the boom that happened maybe 2015, 2016, but we've seen a lot of outside companies uh, treat Melee very well. You know, we have uh, Four Loco Fight Night. We have CLG something or other. <laughs> I forget the activate. I'm so bad. Uh, mix up, this. maybe. <laughs> that was a mix up, yeah. CLG mix up and also CLG Spikers Cup or something um for the volleyball like we've seen a lot of companies who like have been very supportive just to, to smash obviously but uh like do you think that having slippy as just another arsenal even maybe even if we're able to run in-person events like do you think that this is helpful for melee's ability to transcend what we currently are or even maintain what we currently are just based on like how easy it might be for an outside company to help yeah, I mean, I think I look at it this way, right? Like, we're looking at it from a standpoint of the numbers, but, like, um, I would like to compare it. Like, there's a there's a world where we have the pandemic with Slippy and the world of the pandemic where we don't have Slippy, right? Like, what, what happens to Melee in that alternate universe? Like, does the game just have so little numbers that, like, nothing happens? And, like, the worst thing you can have happen to a game is you can't run events, no one's talking about it, and there's no experience, like, like... Imagine an alternate universe where Ultimate had Slippy, right? Um, (laughs) As opposed to whatever netcode they had, right? Like, that scene shrunk so much because of not having, like, a Slippy equivalent. And even though they had it online, it's not even close to the same. So I think that's the biggest benefit is, right, at the very least, we're able to maintain, right? And, yeah, we got these big sponsor opportunities, right? But, like like let's say the number's 10 like we might be in a world where we leave the pandemic in like 2022 2023 and we have to work from ground zero all over again and that's a it's like going bankrupt in real life right like there's so much recovery that has to come after that right rather than maintaining whatever's in your bank account right over like the bad years yeah i think the interesting takeaway from that um is just like how organizations might view the two smash games because ultimate maybe it's like it feels like that brawlhalla thing where it's like it can't be that big ultimate has had like thousand entrant tournaments uh through the online era and but for some reason you know you have all the entrants you have i think they they have had some stuff with pretty big prize pools um yeah i mean i think you're right in terms of like who is talking about it and and who is 
like actually following that, I, I definitely think that it's lower for melee. Yeah. Does that affect like melee's ability to get these sponsorships or whatever? Like how big is the the everything else that goes into the all the extraneous data that goes into a yeah. tournament? You know, everything so, that's not like tournament entrance or viewers. I would be interested yeah. to hear about that. So like as a side note, like I don't think Ultimate's small, but like I think there's the way I would frame it just to clarify is that Ultimate lost a lot of potential in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Where like imagine if it had good internet, right? Like yeah, they got good numbers, but like I would say that like the amount of growth they would have had was would have been exponential. Like true. And Lots I of top players also not playing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that speaks to your point. Um yeah, I mean I think the I think the unfortunate reality you have, right? Like um is a lot of sponsors like you know like and i'll speak i don't i'm not nda by anything so like you know yahoo um you know when i talked to yahoo red bull right like um they were all very scared of nintendo and so um and i think in 2014 to 2016 just to paint a larger picture a lot of esports organizations a lot of companies thought well like wow we're seeing a lot of growth here where will this lead to and i think what when you saw kind of the the market correction or the market bubble burst on like melee players and supporting melee was when they realized that through like the, the rumor mill like i talked to every team and they're like oh like what's nintendo gonna do and they were trying to like ask me for insight because um they were really nervous about like how nintendo would destroy everything and so that's why like you eventually saw it's like oh like yeah like as long as nintendo exists like I don't see like much more growth than what we saw in like 2016 and like 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always going to be like the, the looming shadow. Um, but let's say Nintendo didn't exist, right? Like there'd be a lot more people. Um, there were a lot of really big companies. Um, ESPN uh, was it E-League, ABC, like all these companies that wanted to run melee tournaments on TV, right? And they were denied for one reason or another. So like there was a lot of demand and a little funny story was uh, with Yahoo Esports, right? I think the viewership for Smash Rivals was like 30,000, 25,000, right? And that's pretty impressive, right? And we spent I wasn't used to the esports money or like the corporate money, and I think we spent like forty-five to fifty thousand dollars on everything collectively: flights, prize pool, wow. filming, venue. And they were really happy about that. They were just like, "This is like the best event ever," and they were really excited. And they wanted to run more. Unfortunately, uh, Verizon bought Yahoo, and we couldn't run anymore. We were planning to run a Smash Four, Smash rivalries, and run more Smash events. And I think the Fortunately, the the happy ending to this was Hunter, uh, who now runs Golden Guardians, um, saw the potential of Melee. And I think that was probably one of his catalysts, like between Melee Science and Smash Rivalries, that like Melee actually has a diehard audience. And that's, I think, part of the reason why they took a chance as Golden Guardians to bring in all the support for Melee. Yeah, Um, I mean, I I think that that's going to be the thing that always keeps going, right? Uh, It's hard to say that Melee is, is a horse that you can always bet on. Uh, considering you know Nintendo exists, but re- regardless, I I feel like the the passion that exists there, you know, uh, I I have a hard time saying that that's ever going to die down. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that's limiting, right? We spent fifty k for like a weekend of twenty five k viewership, and conversely, I've heard of campaigns where they spend five hundred thousand or a million dollars or two million dollars, and they don't even get close to that viewership, right? Jeez. And so 
I mean, esports as a whole is um, in a really weird space where I think collectively people are trying to figure out like how how is it profitable, and I don't think anyone's figured it out yet. But at the very least, maybe it's not going to be like peak Fortnite, right? Where you just put Ninja out there and you get millions of viewers, you get every sponsor in the world to like sponsor because like an ex- a CEO's kid is Fortnite, saying Fortnite, 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 right? But like I think, relatively speaking, like mainly does really well per dollar spent on it in terms of viewership and publicity and uh, that's something that most other games can't say in today's day and age Mm -hmm. yeah that's fair um i don't know like uh (laughs) is it just me being naive to have any sort of optimism regarding melee do you think Yeah, yeah it's tough i mean there's just so much excitement for it right like and i think you know as we extend this conversation to broader esports look at like how many people who aren't in the melee scene that tweeted about summit um Mm -hmm. my lcs players and my academy players who are league players they all tuned in to watch the grand finals of mango right like people from the broader gaming audience will tune in for like hype melee it does seem like an equalizer for for a lot of scenes, yeah. Um, which I mean, kind of. But the the monkey's paw that whole thing is, you know, it's it's partially because of Nintendo, partially because of IP that's super recognizable and stuff that people have a lot of nostalgia for, especially from a certain age group. And then, you know, also partially because of the scene that Nintendo kind of takes so much, right? It's like it's hard to to really pinpoint. Well, for me, it might be hard to pinpoint what makes melee just like have be a a sweet spot for so many people who aren't in the the larger scene yeah and i think the one thing that doesn't really get noted and i'm not going to advocate and say that that we have 100 percent good actors we had the me too movement um you know and like we've had our bad apples but i think very fortunately for us like because like when you look at like league no offense to league like it's really hard like if I were to tell you, like, what is this player's personality? You'd probably be like, I don't know, right? Like, and I think the interesting about, like, fighting games in general, and one of the things I love is, like, the dynamic personalities that are being present to the public, right? And who knows? A lot of League players behind the scenes probably have interesting personalities, but no one no one knows, like, from the grander space of, like, what is this Valorant player's personality? What is this League player's personality? But with, like, Smash, both on the, the commentator side of things and also the player side of things, like, people are drawn to them as personalities and i think that's something unique in that we have as a community that's a huge upside and something that's been lost um when i look at league of legends and why i mm. was really excited about league of legends and like the old days was like double lift and all those people streaming and showing a bit of their personalities and it feels like because we're grassroots like we haven't been commodified to the point where we're just kind of like these like brand advocates that have to like stay vanilla mm. Um, you know, every uh, every week when we have our wonderful guests on, we, we do some questions from Patreon, from, uh, from people from our Patreon. And I think you asked one, I mean, you're you're kind of getting into something that uh, reminds me of a question that was asked. So, Vlerk, uh, who yep. I will say has been, I think I've probably, every time he puts a question out there, I probably use it. Uh, I like to make fun of our patrons for coming up with bad questions. Um, but, but he has a kind of a, a good question with this. Um, 
Okay, I don't think it was him. I'm sorry. It was uh, actually Algebra 123230. But Flurk, Flurk does have a good question coming up later. And uh, Samus players, I can't tell them apart. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Algebra like kind of wants to know what are the biggest differences between Melee or Smash as a whole and League of Legends? I think you're starting to hit on this. Like, is there anything else that you would kind of note for that? I mean, I think the hard part, right? Like, um, And I'm not doubting... Like, we can take it from multiple avenues, right? Like, and I take people from the leak space into, like, the FGC space. And they're like, wow, this is, like, a totally different experience, right? So, like, right then they're going to an Evo or Super Major where everything is open. You're saying hi to the fans, like, saying hi to the players. Like, the players are part of the the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see that in League. Like, everyone's, like, kind of barred off. They have their own sections. And Grand Melee does, or, like, Smash has, like, that VIP section. But, like, you'll see, like mango walking around and be like oh hey like and you see a lot more integration where it's not like a separation of fans and players um i guess speaking from like a kind of thing like i do think i mean there's a lot more money in league but like also like with money like you kind of get the like are you playing this for the love of the game or are you playing it for a paycheck right and like from my understanding with most smash players like they have to be in a place where they love the game right because it's not going to be an inc- stable income or reliable income that's worth noting for a Smash player. So, like, <laughs> they come in pre-filtered that they must love this game. With League, like, there's so much money involved, right? Like, where you might get to a point where it's like, oh, the meta has changed so much. I hate playing this game, but I still have to play it because it's a really mm-hmm. nice paycheck. Um, I would say the level of stress is a lot more different, um, whereas I think Smash players, yeah, they want to win and there's a pressure stage, but, like, the amount of stress that the coaching staffs, the the players experience, like it's so brutal for them, right? Like every game, every week feels like life or death. Like you have this, like you have a season where like you're literally grinding, eating, breathing, living uh, League of Legends, like every waking hour of your life um, to be the best. And so those are like, the different things. And I think largely like the, it's a really simplified answer. It's like really comes down to like what you get from a grassroots scene and uh, as opposed to a scene with money. So I, I feel like there's a lot that that would go into the differences. Um, obviously league is a team sport. League has seasons. League is bigger. Um, yeah. Wh- like what would you say would be the, the thing that kind of might lead the, like what might be the biggest divider between how melee players view their games and how league players or you know whatever you want to sub in for league would it be just money or like what would be the big difference in terms of how they individually view their game melee i'm not gonna say melee is a perfect game it has a lot of shenanigans right like i think with but the contrast between league shenanigans is like I think there's a lot of aspects of League that feel great, right? And that's why you see a lot of people keep coming back to League as if it's a, an addiction. It is a fun game. Um, I think it's a, it's an addictive game. Like, I think people come back to it because it gives you that nice dopamine hit. Um, mm. Are we talking... And remind me, am I talking more about the similarities or, like, the differences of, like, kind of, like, the, how the players view the game? Well, yeah, because I, I think there's so many differences in infrastructures of the scene and how the infrastructures of the how the game is played in the pro scene um but like what would be the biggest difference between how they view their games i 
there's like i think this like kind of like actually leads into a nice like there's like so being the being that i'm you know behind the scenes and i uh, see a lot of the pain points with like league of legends players like um <laughs> i don't want to turn this into like a why it doesn't any like win worlds argument but like i see a lot of their pain points that lead into frustrations mm-hmm. um i'm not sure if you've heard of like the ping where like they're paying playing on 70 ping for solo queue and then um their scrims are 13 ping so like imagine mm-hmm. trying to play fox on like a six or seven frame buffer versus like a one frame buffer so like the game just feels fundamentally different right uh queue times are different um the solo queue environment it's like a pickup basketball uh where you get away with a lot that wouldn't fly in competitive like those plays just don't work or that style that you'd play to succeed in solo queue so um, I think one of the like most interesting things about league is that the environment that you find the majority of your practice in, and the environment that you actually play competitive, are actually two vastly different games. Um, um, I, I think there's a lot of frustrations that build up, and like I, I would like to say that like right now, league isn't defined by your strongest player it's defined by who's your weakest link so you can like have your four other players do the right thing and then one player is just constantly like kind of making these minor mistakes and that's what defines a loss and like how the meta is played um the team aspects can be really frustrating and again um i think there's aspects of the game that people love but it's hard for me to really say that like that there's a pro player that loves like every aspect of mm-hmm. league as much as like a melee player loves melee. Yeah. I, I what an insightful, it's hard for you not to be insightful. Is it? <laughs> um, yeah. Algebra actually has another question that kind of goes in line with this. Yep. So uh, it's the idea about if you were to look at the biggest one V one games, um, which you would say like RTS or fighting games uh, tend to be overshadowed by your MOBA games, your FPSs, anything that would be maybe considered a, traditionally a team game. Um, so like what, uh, why would you think that MOBAs, FPSs, other team games overshadow the 1v1s uh, so much right now in, in the bigger esports? and what could 1v1s do to kind of gain more popularity or gain more like market share yeah i mean i think the hard part right is um when you look at the one-on-one game right um the scope gap is a lot more the defined and so you really get to a point where unless the game has a lot of variants like poker um that that player that is better is going to win the majority of the time there was a really interesting game developer who did a presentation on like skill versus luck right and in some aspects a team game influence like adds variance and luck to the gameplay right so like on one element like it's really hard to get into a one-on-one game because like you're very quickly going to know that people are better than you and that that experience getting into the game is going to be really rough um you can or like, the, let's put it this way: the ability to have fun in a one-on-one game becomes comes a lot later in the experience of your your journey with the game, as opposed to playing a team game. Right? You can go play Valorant five on five. You may not be good, but you're having a good time with your friends, right? And so those player bases are just fundamentally going to be a larger, a lot higher, right? Because people like playing with their friends. Like, 
if I were to go tonight and go like ask my casual friend, like, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm playing Valorant with my friends, right? Like there's a fun social experience that you have with those games that bring in more players to play the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I don't know how many people really get interested in one-on-one experiences. Like um, for what's worth, I don't really see that many players really. I mean, maybe I'm biased here, but I don't see many people enjoying one single player games anymore. It seems like games have developed into a social experience. And the extreme example is StarCraft, right? That game is really stressful for me to play. Like I have anxiety playing StarCraft because of how stress, like stressful that game is. Um, but I can either play that or I can play Dota, League, Mario. I mean, whatever whatever multiplayer game, and I generally will have a lot more of a fun time. So fundamentally, player base is just going to be way higher than for mm. the reasons that I've listed. And do you think there's anything that 1v1 games could do to, to kind of increase that? I mean, you see this like developer angle, and I really like how Corey Gaming does this, right? Like because like with the street fighter series right like people have played street fighter for dozens of years right or mm-hmm. decades um but like how do you how does capcom solve the issue of like bringing new players understanding that the majority of the player base are diehard street fighter fans right and so what you do is you introduce variants you introduce luck-based mechanics you introduce guessing um and you make the combo game a lot easier so that more players get into it right but you have to have this delicate balance of like are you are you over compensating and introducing new play like new players but getting rid of the depth of a game right um for what's worth i think uh, guilty gear strife is seems to have hit a mm-hmm. really good balance where like it feels very accessible but it also feels very deep i don't know what the game development cycle or like how much thought gets put into depth versus like ease of accessibility i imagine that balance is really hard to nail correctly um in in all this right um i don't i'm not a game designer so i don't know how to do it correctly but like fundamentally i know that a good game that invites more people has to have that ease of easy easy to get into hard to master yeah Uh, um that actually you know so we talk about what the games themselves can do to get to a larger scene uh, Curly, Curly W, actually has a similar question about, like, what could Melee, Smash, fighting games be doing to increase the profile of community events in the larger gaming esports sphere? So, you know, one is the idea of what can the game itself be doing to get to a larger player base? And then Curly is kind of asking a question of what could the games be, game or community be doing to get, like, uh, to have a larger sense in the in the gaming community in the esports community yeah i mean i think the thing that has to be done is like a funnel right um unfortunately arxis isn't the biggest developer right like when you look at like anime fighters and stuff like it's like you kind of have to ask yourself the question of like what what is the way that you cast the widest net to fan bases right um i mean i think IP is really important, and that's why Smash is successful. Dragon mm. Ball Fighters was successful for its time. Marvel vs. Capcom was like a casual button masher for a lot of people. Um, who, who would have thought that IP does a lot? Um, so I think at a baseline, if you really want to get that like massive appeal, like you need a really strong IP, and you need like a really 
big developer, right? And you have to have faith that the developer knows what they're doing, right? And I guess like the one finger I do kind of point to is like what Riot's doing with their fighting game. And granted, they have the Cannon Brothers, they have people from like the FGC running it, and maybe they support it, right? Um, but I don't know if like the other companies like have the the bandwidth or like the natural fan base that Riot does. So uh, I think it would take something like that. Um, the other thing that is really hard is like, right, like I enjoy fighting games for death, right? And why a person, why I enjoy a game versus what the average person would enjoy a game, like might be just too different, right? And that part of me might just have to accept that like what I'm interested in doesn't appeal to a broader audience because I could replace fighting games with Puzzle Fighter, right? Like I love Puzzle Fighter, right? And people play it casually, but like puzzle games like don't have that large of an audience. Um, so those are just kind of like my preliminary thoughts on everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think there's a there's a lot to that to get into. Um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate your thoughts on that. That like uh, being able to hear so much of that from you is is really really uh, enlightening. I guess I think yeah. is a word I used earlier. Uh, I, we could probably you know we've got a, a lot of these great Patreon questions. I I don't want to take your time because I know you're a busy guy, but I want to get a lot in because... Uh, I mean, I'm in the off-season, so, like, it's not as bad. So, it's like we didn't make playoffs, so I have time. All right, well, yeah, let's let's get a couple more because there's a couple fun ones here. Um, as I mentioned before, they actually tried this week, which is... <laughs> which uh, you should you should feel... Aww. You should take that as a compliment because they didn't try for a lot of people. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh so Vlark, I mentioned earlier, I, I got a question confused, but he did have a couple of good ones. And one of the good ones that he has is, um, who is the most unsung hero of the melee scene who's not traditionally thought of as a player? Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, I used to have the hipster answer that's, like, no longer a hipster. Um, but, like, I would probably say homemade waffles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's gone his videos, so it's like well known. But you said not known for a player, and I originally thought the question in my head, I kind of like misheard it. It was like a person that's not widely known. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you, uh, but yeah, if I those are different that, ones for you. Then I'd I'd love to hear both answers. Yeah, so I think overall, like homemade waffles. Um, like, there's a lot of like, I I mean, like I think this is documented by a lot of people that know. Like him creating the videos in the brawl era, like was really important for this scene. Huge, like, yeah. Like when YouTube started popping off, it's like whose videos you'd watch. You'd watch Stab by a Nipple, you'd watch Homemade Waffles, and you watch like Prog's videos, right? Um, those were huge. Um, and then, like, I don't know what the alternate universe would look like if those videos didn't exist in a, in a time like that. Um, I think the other prospect of Prog that was really huge that a lot of people don't know about, like, of course, you know, he has a lot of just being a good human being and, you know, advocating for you know, LGBT rights, um, advocating just for a better space, right? And <laughs> he'd play that disappointing father role a lot. And then, like, a new shenanigan would come into the scene. But, you know, uh, if we were back to 2014, right? Like, that was the MLG circuit year. Um, it was the year that we got into... Um, it was the year that we got into E3, I believe it's Smash 4. And that was the year that we also got connected to the larger esports space. Like, Prague was out there 
like messaging people and connecting people. He Prague actually connected Mango to Jack, who's the owner of C9, to get him on C9. So like there was a lot of really big behind the scenes trends that Prague really pushed people. Prague connected a lot of people to people to to have jobs, to be on teams. And like Prague was also one of the biggest forces into getting people on Twitter. Uh, believe it or not. <laughs> Better for worse than what you think of Smash Twitter, but like um he definitely was ahead of the curve on a lot of the things that he brought into the community and yeah like i think people recognize prog for certain things but not to the extent that he really did a lot behind the scenes damn i, I love that answer um because yeah. i i think initially people people might hear prog and 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 not necessarily uh think of him as unsung but uh the the idea of you know, all the stuff they did behind the scenes. Because, I mean, a lot of that, I mean, uh, even as I think that I know a little bit about the, the guy himself, I, you know, a lot of that news to me. And I'm sure there's just more and more that uh, that, that he did. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I really do like that. Um, would there be someone who was, you know, obviously Prague and Homemade Waffles are both incredible answers. Is there anyone who might not be to that level of distinction, maybe level of just like notoriety, notoriety in the scene? I mean, I think one of the big things, and uh, um, I'll think of a better answer, but I'll give a filler for now. Like, Music King's, uh, Music King's mar- uh, quote-unquote marketing, I mean, I'm sure everyone sees how much he spams Metify, and I personally think it's endearing. I don't... Because <laughs> the reason why I say that is um, the amount of work that Music King put in advocating for a spirit bomb was ridiculous. Like, he worked nonstop to find anyone and everyone to donate to that spirit bomb um that like sure like Mewtwo mentions that he connected the speedrunners but i don't think anyone has mentioned the, the amount of work he put into that um so that's an interesting one um trying to... yeah i mean is there any is there any uh name oh, okay, so dust off like the a, shelf i mean i think challenge is really interesting like, I think most people know him as a player, but, like, mm-hmm. he was a tournament organizer. He actually started one of the original rankings of, like, the like the U.S. rankings with hugs. Like, yeah. he's had his hand on a surprising amount of things over since O2, um, which is kind of crazy. Like, if you, like, you, I think you guys mentioned me as this person that's had this, like, kind of resume of things at the scene. Like, Chillin's had quite a resume for even longer than me which is crazy yeah i mean uh what was it called diary of a smasher life of a smasher whatever whatever that was i mean uh that's that catalyzed the the smash document right yeah exactly like uh i think uh yeah i mean that's the thing right i mentioned it earlier when you watch like a genesis or something like that you, you see all these things um and it's to this day it's still crazy to see the big tournaments that might have had 100, 200 people. Uh, and, like, the you can see so many people who brought so much stuff to the community. The uh, the amount of things that people who are traditionally thought of as players or commentators are able to bring to the scene, like, throughout their years, uh, always impressive to me. And I always yeah. love to hear all these old-school people who probably are taken for granted now that uh, just seeing all they brought. So that that's amazing. Uh, we have a highlighted message in chat, which uh, I believe we 
tell people that they can put messages in the chat and we just really don't read them. Uh, but he highlighted it, so we'll do it. So this is Mustache Walrus, who uh, was personally introduced to Melee by your show Melee Science uh, and stuff like the doc. And then Save as Entitled content, of course, came after that. Um, but without Save as Entitled and uh, not including us, who do you think is picking up where you left off on the Melee storytelling on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. Um, I don't think anyone's quite... Let's see. I think there are a lot of... Okay, there's like categories <laughs> to this, right? Like, I think Melee Stats and Turned Down by Walt will tell you interesting stories, right? About these really, like, kind of, like, hidden stories that have occurred over the years, right? So I'd view that as, like, historical... Like, those as, like, historical narrative pieces. Um because like i think when i talk about things i talk about recent legacy and i talk about kind of current events um i actually think there's a lot of people that fulfill that right like you look at like the highlight videos that come up on youtube like i like everyone seems to be doing that now like i you look at ibdw mango muti king um tof like they're all producing content on like what are their latest thoughts on like this or like how did mango win summit right and that's mm. the content that i think i did a lot of and they're even doing their clickbaity list like top five players that most improved in 2020 right so um as far as like the the, the marriage of stats um and the narrative um i don't think i really see a i don't think there's a person that's quite nailed the union of all three of stats oriented top player and good at narratives um yet i think most people usually have two of the three and so i'm waiting for like a top player with some sort of analytical background that loves to write um and mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem like that magic triangle really exists <laughs> for that many people what about have you ever checked out june bugs content uh june bugs content is good um it's just very infrequent mm -hmm. yeah i feel like that's uh you know, I, I think, what, you know, uh, the question mentioned save. I think that was one thing that save was amazing at was able to just, like, pump out videos. Uh, yeah. And I think Turndown for Walt has also had, like, an amazing track record for, for being able to put out videos, even if, uh, you know, like, it's not the weekly grind, but, but like, despite that, what he's been able to put out is really amazing. Um, so I'm always really impressed by the people who are able to do like a full-time job and then still have time to, to make all these melee videos. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just <laughs> part of the game, right? Doing a full-time job coming home and then spending another four hours a day on melee, right? That's just yeah, that's uh, a melee lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, like, and I don't know how often we see that in like, you know, traditional sports, right? Like I would, I guess the smash equivalent would be like, I would love to see a Tony Romo really get into like content, right? That'd be like the, <laughs> the 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 and like yeah. him working with a stats guy right to like enhance his narrative um that would be like something i'd love to see that'd be crazy um <laughs> uh, yeah well let's uh we're talking about the history of the game i think uh one of the it's not infamous maybe not famous but one of the more notable things that has uh involved you was your thousand dollar money match so joey from the patreon he wants to know, what did you do with the $1,000? Yeah, um, so funny enough, so 
what what did I do? Okay, so I won the thousand dollars, and I think they actually say this in the video. Um, it was when homemade waffles and Prague like were counting the money. I brought a yeah. hundred dollar bills because I didn't want to carry like fifty twenty dollar bills, and like they're counting the twenty dollar bills, and like I think homemade waffles makes this like offhanded comment of like, why did he bring twenties? Um, so. And that was a funny comment. So I won the thing. I immediately went up to my hotel room and I locked it in like a, a place that no one was going to look because I didn't mm-hmm. want to carry $2,000 with me. Um, I think as part some some of money, let's say it's a couple hundred dollars. Like there were people in my corner that rooted for me. And keep in mind, like I'm West Coast and we were in Apex, which is an East Coast event. And I believe Tan's from New England. So that audience was predominantly ruining for Tian. Like <laughs> he had home field, right? Like, um, do I tell that? St- I, you guys have heard the story and uh, it's a funny story. I kind of laugh at it now, but it kind of shows how times are different and I'm like happy for it. But <laughs> um, because I wasn't, I didn't have a home field advantage. A lot of people, um, it was a different time. I'll preface this for like, if I got hit in like game one, people were like, oh, like how come you're not, opening your eyes like you chink mm. or they're like saying like oh he's not approaching he has a small like dick like and in my head i'm just like dude like tian's asian too like you're kind of making fun of him if you're making fun of me for being asian um but um different time but needless to say so there are like a good handful of people in my corner and some of them they immediately left the venue after the salty suite so i didn't get to hang out with them but like um, to my boys that supported me, I think hugs and a few other people really like you could see them in the background of the video. They were supporting me, like they were just like, maybe like you got this. And I said like, hey, like I'm I'm just gonna buy like, all the rounds of drinks that night. And so I probably spent a few hundred dollars that night on shots. Funny enough was that I was sitting at a table with my boys, and Tian's table with his boys consoling him were like two tables down. So it was an awkward <laughs> bar night where like we're all cheering, we're all excited, like Prague's there, Hugs is there, like a lot of the homies. And then and like I see like two tables down, like I see like Tian, and then I, I feel kind of bad for him, but I'm just like, this is my moment. Um so I bring the money home. I still have two thousand dollars in cash because I bought, you know, I paid the bar tab on card. I just left it on my desk for months. Um, I didn't go to the ATM and eventually I was just like, okay, like, what am I going to do with this? Um, and eventually I bought myself a leather, leather jacket for like $800. Oh, it's really, damn. Um, it's really nice. I'll describe it a bit. I think it usually just like, it has a sheet, like it's, it has like a sheepskin interior. It's like really light and LA gets really hot. So it makes a really good nighttime jacket. Um, I still have to repair the zipper, but I don't really need to zip it up anyway, so it still works. But it's a nice, like, light leather jacket that I can take out to wear, like, almost all times of the year in LA, and I still wear it. You still have it? Yeah, that's great. We yeah. got a uh, whatever next event. I'll I, I've got a leather jacket too, not an eight hundred dollar leather jacket. Yeah, I'll bring my two hundred dollar leather jacket, and we can uh, we'll put on some <laughs> sunglasses, hang out in front of the venue. Um, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, so many funny stories behind all the. So it was a bar tab in a leather jacket is a short end of it. Hey, dude, if I had a thousand dollars, that's probably going to the same thing. So uh, yeah. you, money well spent. <laughs> um, so kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, if we're getting into questions, um, 
a little further away from Smash. Uh, so Divine Senator Kelly has a question about, uh, you know, the Melee team might not have, we, we might not hear from you a ton. Um, obviously, you've been busy with other stuff. Um, do you still do puns is the big question, which I think I've already heard. Uh, I'm not sure if it was during this uh, pre-show or during the show, but I think I already know the answer. I mean, yeah, I still do. Like, uh, I think my like players and my coaching staff here, like they cringe and they'll say like dad jokes. Um, it's funny enough because I got to prep myself because um, like my wife has put a two year timeline on me to have kids. <laughs> So like I need to prep those dad jokes, and so like mm-hmm. you might see like like if everything goes right, like I might have a mini taffa running around. Well, you'd be very prepared when it comes to jokes. Yeah, not with the sleep though. <laughs> no. uh, I mean, all the work you've been doing, I'm sure you've uh, had your experiences with no sleep. Speaking of um, speaking of your wife, Yamham wants to know uh, where when we will see more of these dinner for wifey. Uh, tweets yeah i mean i think since the season's over like um that's possible like i I think just for context to like people who i mean i think you alluded to it a little bit like during leak season like it's a seven day a week like like 10 to 12 hour a day job so like um you have three game days three scrim days and then on your off day you're debriefing the prior week and planning for the next so there just really isn't like any time to like do anything else uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy so but the season's over um and so like and she's starting school so like or she's starting work again she works at a school so like you'll probably see like me take over some a lot more of the household chores and cooking and i'll probably put on some like food um related like kind of bento boxes again um yeah, you know, uh, I, I think we actually have another question that relates to that. Leon, YCZ, I'm sure you well known around these parts. He wants to know what's the most underrated Korean dish. Um, uh, similar to like the homemade waffles, I don't know if it's gone so underrated or if it's been noted as underrated now that it's overrated, but like... Um, I think Korean stews as a category, the Korean soups in general, like are just really underrated in like the kind of Western audiences because like similar to how I view like Japanese food as just not like sushi and ramen. Like mm-hmm. I view, I don't view Korean food as just Korean barbecue and like Korean cuisine is predicated on soups. Um, actually, if you go to, like Korean culture, like they live off of soups. So um korean soups are phenomenally good not just like the tofu stew or the kimchi stew there's like bone broth stew um there's like oxtail soup um there's an army stew um there's just so much variety um and if you're really um adventurous there's a a buck cold iced um soup buckwheat noodle soup called naengmyeon um, which I really love, and it's perfect on a weather. It's on a. It's perfect on a day like this, or in LA, it's like really hot. Like I think it peaked at a hundred. But eating this naengmyeon, which is like really cold, it's like icy, like is so refreshing, and it's also a palate cleanser. So like if you have Korean barbecue or like any kind of meat, and it's like really salty and really heavy, right? Like the naengmyeon after eating that dish after is just so unbelievably good it just pairs so nicely 
Um, so I would have to go with that. I don't think it's really commercialized or commodified that well in Western audiences. I'm pretty sure most people don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about the dish, but um, I think the way that you can order it, it's like it's like a it's a cold buckwheat noodle soup is like hmm. the best way I can say what it is. Uh, I mean, that uh, it's kind of a fool's errand to convince someone to want a cold soup. Uh, but uh, it, uh, I don't know. I, I think you're doing it. I, I will definitely. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to figure out something like that. We do have a around my area. There's there's a really great um, really great Korean place. A couple of great Korean places, but one specifically that I really really like, which I've had a lot of amazing food at. And uh, yeah, I mean, if that were something on the menu, I would I would have to try that. Yeah. Um, I would say the other type is like um, we're also big on like pancakes, not like like American breakfast pancakes, but like fish pancakes, seafood pancake. Like yes, um, the, those are really good, and you don't really get that like a Korean barbecue restaurant. You'd have to go to like another type of sit down, but yeah, Korean pancakes like they're like egg battered, like they're really good. And um, as soon as I find a place in LA that seats a lot of people, like that's where we're going. If like there's like a tournament in LA, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I got I mean, basically we've been hitting on almost everyone's questions. We're kind of right near the end. Before we uh, before we end this episode, I actually want to roll this back into melee. So. Yeah, we're we're right near the end of the episode. We're going to be talking about our plugs, and uh, I, I I think we can before we get there. When's melee uh, has been something that has been. I think this is a plug for both of us. It's been something on the uh, melee on me website by Ding for years, uh, and then now currently is on meleestats.co, uh, helmed by Pikachu Pikachu nine four two, and. Um, one of the questions relates to Wens Melee specifically. So this is from Curly W. Could a local focus product like Wens Melee ever fit into a big esports organization's larger strategy? Can a local think product like Wens Melee fit into an esports org strategy? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think about this, right? Um, the best like analogy I can give is. Um, like when we, I, I guess when we say esports org, we're we're talking about a team, right? Like not like a developer. But, um, yeah. Okay. So with a team, I think what you can do, right? Um, little known fact: uh, TSM. Like we think of a hundred thieves, for example, as like a merch merchandise org, right? Like are they evolved into this, right? Um, TSM, strangely enough, doesn't make money. Like to my knowledge, they don't make money off their esports. They make money off of their websites and their apps, right? So they're a technology. They're a technology company first, and an esports org second. If you really look at like how they make money, so the way I see it is that if they can market, if an esports organization can market something like Wens Melee, and like it becomes a site that develops users because t- tournament organizers putting their tournaments on the site um, and people who play Melee go to that site for information, um, then you might get enough eyes that you can kind of bundle it as like and put like ads or something on it. That's one possibility. Um, the one thing that I would also say is that like the closest thing you probably have that isn't like Smash GG is Juked.gg. No, like, yeah, yeah. Like I would say Juke GG is probably the the closest thing. And if they 
the I think the hard part with the local space is that there's so much onboarding that you have to do with TOs um, to like, get a bunch of people to use your platform, like at the local level. And the payoff isn't that great because like every person that you onboards hours of work for like 50, if even viewers or 50 people to click the site that I don't, I think that's probably why a large, lot of people don't really want to find like every tournament in like every state because it's a lot of work to get that working. It would have to be a philanthropic thing of a person that's really a big fan of Melee that mm. wants to tackle that project. Yeah, it, it seems like it's a, a large order to fill, but uh, I don't know. On an optimistic end of that, I feel like the uh, the arrow of time points towards the fanaticism of Melee. So we will we will see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, so obviously I, I mentioned that Wentz Melee is a, is a plug, for, for both of us before we get into that, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the episode. So I, I want you to plug whatever you want, but before we get into that, uh, we have a, a little bit of a segment that we do because I know that you are, um, obviously kind of disconnected from smash. Uh, if not personally from, uh, definitely a public level. But, uh, one thing I think is really important is to see people who are in melee as, something other than melee so every week we want to talk about something that has been in our lives recently that is not melee related and you know kind of an effort to view us as something more um so i can go first if you want to uh to try and you know think of something um so i think uh i don't know it's a it's a weird answer this is edwin gave uh edwin gave an answer one time that was not really something to be that he was interested in it but it was uh Okay. Well, my answer. Okay. Uh, my friend just got married today. He he got married on a Zoom wedding. Uh, it was international. I was not able to go, uh, but but that was beautiful. Um, I guess a cop out answer, kind of, because it's like, oh, I'm into true love. Uh, but but it was really a beautiful ceremony. Uh, and being able to uh to even watch something like that on Zoom was still touching, and. Uh, the complete 180 you know that was the answer that i don't think really fits the bill i will give an answer that fits the bill but it's not as touching uh hbo max i i believe you can find it on recently has a documentary series about uh like full-length music documentaries and there's one about woodstock 99 which is just like the this this concert of uh it was purported to be you know the the next big thing and and it was huge and Lots and lots of things that led to disaster, uh, including a riot that <laughs> basically had them uh, everyone fleeing at the end. So I will I will recommend to that to anyone who is vaguely interested in that. I think it's a really cool time capsule of the late '90s, early 2000s, without like taking pot shots, taking too many pot shots, which I think is kind of part and parcel for the uh, for that how we view that era of music. Um, and just anyone who's like generally interested in that time, I think it's a super cool documentary. So I guess my answers will be True Love and Woodstock '99, Peace, Love, and Rage on HBO Max. <laughs> so am I like recommending a TV show then, or you're recommending recommend- whatever? I mean, I I've recommended uh, I recommend a TV show here. I've recommended uh, I got a camera. That was something. It's not even a recommendation. It's just something like what has been something that you've been interested in. Uh, one time I just said. Uh, going on walks in public parks <laughs> like anything that has been in your life that you wouldn't consider melee related or we'll throw in league just you know since it's you 
Yeah, I mean, I think, like, for me, like, I've tweeted out about this lately, but, like, I've been on the Orange Theory grind. Um, I think the nice thing about it is, I like, you know, I like data. I'm a nerd. Um, I wear, like, they have you wear a heart rate monitor, and it tracks, like, how much you ran, like, progress on milestones. So it's been, like, a really nice experience to just get away from work. Um, I guess I learned that... Um, when I don't want to think, uh, paying someone to yell at me uh, fits the bill because <laughs> I'm just like doing whatever they're telling me. Um, but yeah, it's been good. Um, definitely the the first week was miserable because I had no cardio, and uh, but I love the sense of accomplishment it gives me. Like I think I went from a 14 minute mile to like a 6:58 in like three months. Damn. Uh, so that's been cool. Um, I'm also low key doing it because I snort. I am so for context. I'm about like 183 right now. I peaked at like 196 during COVID, and I snore a lot when I'm heavier. So like my wife was definitely not happy about that. Um, so I'm trying to get to a weight where I'm not like really snoring and like having sleep apnea. Uh, so that's one of the other drivers, but it's been fun. Uh, Definitely love the sense of accomplishment and uh, being in an environment where because they're doing it and waking up early, like I also need to uh, try hard. Uh, one of the <laughs> things that they do towards the end is like, <laughs> it's funny, right? Because I usually go through the early classes. Um, they're like, like when you're at the last end of your run, they're like, you didn't wake up and come here to give half the effort, did you? You didn't wake up at like seven o'clock to come here and not give it your all. And I'm like, you're right. Okay. <laughs> like, but it's been great. That sounds great. Uh, I know homemade waffles had a similar answer answer uh, last week about fitness and uh, man, I can't wait. I don't know when I'm going to be able to see you at any point in the future, but uh, yeah, whatever, whatever major next, Hey, I'll, I'll join you on there. Well, two of us will be jacked. We'll be wearing our leather jackets, just wandering around the venue. <laughs> Super down. Um, so you talked about how you, you tweeted about this. Uh, where can we find your Twitter? Where can we find anything else that you've been doing? Like what, where could people follow you? Yeah, Tathlicans uh, on Twitter, although I'm low-key, uh, just because who uh, would have thought that Leak fans are uh, very angry people. So I'm kind of <laughs> laying low right now. But I will eventually start tweeting again, eventually. Um, also, Tathlicans on Twitter, uh, or on Twitch, I might start streaming again soon now that the season's over. Do you still upload videos? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a new skin of Tetris 99 coming out, uh, featuring Skyward like Skyward Sword. So, like, I'll I usually put up a video when a new skin comes out. Sick. So we can. Uh, are you still Tafikins Tetris over there? What is your YouTube? Where can people find you? Uh, and I think if you like, I think it's just Tafikins now. Oh, okay. Like I changed it because I learned that I play more than just. Tetris. <laughs> Poor branding. Uh, awesome. Yeah, that that is that's perfect. Yeah, you can follow him there. Uh melee stats, obviously. Uh I, I love to do the plug so Edwin doesn't spend a hundred hours on it. So uh not not really a choice today on this one person episode. So uh, you know, if, if you were liking the content that we were making, you can 
watch our full length uh, video essays, uh, uh, Melee Stats on YouTube. If you want to watch stuff like this, um, our podcast or extras that we might sometimes put up, you can go on Melee Stats Archive on YouTube. If you want to watch our podcast live, twitch.tv slash Melee Stats. And uh, tweets such as uh, Daily Reporting. It's going to be over at twitter.com slash Melee Stats Pod. And Monday Morning Marth and Wednesday Melee, weekly articles that we have, you can find over on MeleeStats.co. If you just want to support us, patreon.com slash MeleeStats. Tavo, uh, you've been such a joy to have on. You know, I, I know that this is something that I, I wanted to do for a little bit. I wanted to have episodes that we kind of dedicated to people that we found very important. And, and I think that you were the one who I wanted to choose and, and being able to speak to you today. I, I know that I made the right choice. Awesome. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, yeah, I, I hope that fans of the show, you know, if, if you did like this, uh, we would want to continue this in some extent, maybe uh, have other people from the melee stats, uh, organization i guess have on some people who are also special to them so keep an eye out for that and uh yeah everyone i want to thank everyone for watching i know that's been a little of a uh a different episode but i I think i really appreciate Tafo for doing i think it really ended up being something special so thank you Tafo, for being on and uh thanks everyone for watching peace